0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Here's the Pitch, sponsored by Masses Restaurants in St. Louis. There's five locations. STLMasses.com is the website if you're in the St. Louis area or driving through. That's an Italian restaurant, delicious food, and they're my title sponsor. And they're a big fan of the Howard Stern Show, so... I have been doing some interviews uh, of late with uh, former cast members, former associates, people who are on the show, and I've been posting them to YouTube with uh, a lot of people viewing them. So I like people going over to YouTube to check these out. They are video interviews, and so I will post them here. But uh, today I'm going to give you just a taste of two of the newer ones I've done. Tim Sabian, the former uh, vice president of the channels of Howard 100 and Howard 1, and Steve Langford, who was part of the Howard 100 news team. It's funny to say, uh, but both were great to me and uh, joining me on the show. So let me give you a little piece of that. And again, you can go to YouTube, just search ST Weekly, ST Weekly, Sports Talk Weekly, formerly when I was doing a cable show, but now I'm calling it Stern Talk Weekly because I'm doing Stern Talk all the time over there. Uh, I'm going to be adding Vinny Favali's interview coming up this week. So if you're catching this on iTunes or Spotify, you can look for that coming up this week and more guests coming along the way into September and October. But uh, this first uh, piece is uh, from our interview I did with uh, Tim Sabian and uh, really enjoyed it. Hope you do, too. And again, you can hear the whole thing and watch the whole thing at ST Weekly. But here's a piece of that. So he he says, hey, come with me. What is that? Does he want you to be the Tom Chiasano? Is that basically what people are thinking of that role? And it, is it all sales? Is it What does it mean to build out his channels? Because obviously September 2004, he announces it. But you don't really get going until, what, October of 2005. So there's this whole year of people waiting to, to see what's going to happen.
1: Well, when I, we first started talking about it, I think it was in July or August, and uh, he asked me if I'd be interested. And I, I was like, oh, my gosh. And once we start talking, I got more and more excited about it. Um, and I said, yeah, let's do this. So I started in, uh, I think it was late August, September uh, of 2005. And you walk in the door and they hand you, a, you know, a balance sheet. And if the lower or a budget and then the lower uh, – Right-hand corner, uh, it has a number, and here's what the, it, it is. And you have to build out a channel, and it's like landing on the moon. There's no food, shelter, or water. No staff. You know, no offices per se, no studios, all these kinds of things. So we basically, literally, started from scratch. Uh, and uh, I sat down with Howard and. You know, he told me his vision and what he thought it should be and so forth. And I sat down and took notes for literally two weeks and just exhausted him over the course of that time, asking question after question after question. Then went back and put together a proposal, what I thought it should be based on what his vision was. And we agreed to it. And then I started building, started hiring a staff, uh, started to put programming on the channels just to get some workflow and to understand, you know, cause and effect. You know, in a digital world, it's a whole different thing than working in analog and terrestrial radio. Uh, so it was uh, it was a real learning curve, um, and it was very intense, uh, you know, getting all the production together, uh, working with sales and, and developing how we're going to... You know, what are the processes and what are the, the boundaries and what are the limits? Uh, social media, getting that set up and loading the cannons as far as having the ability and the workflow to, to uh, provide and supply content to our social media channels. Uh, um, it's just it was a, a daunting task. And, and uh, we had probably about 90 some people on the staff, you know, with audio, video, sales, promotion, Social media, production, uh, talent, and you know, it just—it was—it was was an incredible mountain to climb, but we did it. We launched the channels on one nine oh six. I'll never forget that day as long as I live, and it was probably one of the most rewarding experiences that I ever experienced uh, being in this industry.
0: I mean, do you have to come up with the salaries for Robin and Fred, and and and, but it's—I know it's hot.
1: That was predetermined. You know, Don would handle pretty much, you know, the negotiation of the uh, of the show staff, but I would handle everything else outside of the show, uh, as far as negotiating salaries and so forth and contracts and all that kind of thing. But but Robin and Fred and and Gary were already predetermined. Um, but uh, other than that, uh, it was it was my ball, my bat, my game. So,
0: how do you? I mean, and then you get into this. Go, you get going, right? And so, tell me a little bit about what you're doing day to day are you in on those writers meetings do you do you kind of help creatively as well i mean are you are you more of the business guy it was it was
1: always a committee. And there was, that was one of the great things about it. It was that it was a group, you know, it was a family. And when we hired people, especially when I would hire people, I would have the entire entity, you know, meet, you know, whoever the possible candidate was and everybody was inclusive. It was the team. Uh, we functioned as a team. We were a family because you basically live with these people 17 hours a day uh, and you go through the highs, the lows, the, you know, and everything in between. Uh, so you're you're involved in every aspect aspect of the process because you have to be you know it's like when I started there um, there was a couple of, you know the people that I reported to I you know reported to Howard and Scott greenstein and and a couple of others but I told them all that I need to be the one that's in charge and responsible for this because I need to feel the successes I need to feel the failures uh, in order to make the best decisions I want I need to live with this 24/7 because I, I need to, to figure it out as I go along here there's no manual on how to do this so you know you just gotta you know it's it's like chasing after things and just kind of figuring it out as you go along so there's you know there's a lot of things that are, are standardized and so forth but but in the Howard world because it was so unexpected and everything was immediate uh it was an incredible uh, incredible journey
0: and th- those shows in Sirius aren't crazily aren't as wild as the earlier stuff there wasn't as much strippers there wasn't much you know hypoderic doing weird stuff on the floor but would you have the chance to say i don't know howard i don't know if you should do that or is it howard owns the content and i'll i'll tell him i don't know if i just you know this is a good idea i can't remember anything really terrible happening during the uh, you know the things we am kind of talking about beforehand but then it seems like get the serious really all he wanted to do was just talk and not be able to not not have to be you know, censored and have a button on them. But would you have a chance to say, I don't know about that idea, Har. That seems kind of raunchy. Well, we we had a lot of those discussions
1: prior to, and, you know, language was one of the first issues that we, you know, had to tackle because all of a sudden this newfound freedom is also newfound responsibility. And, you know, going on the air and being able to say, you know, whatever you, you, know, you want, basically, and using the words that the FCC prohibited on terrestrial was an, an interesting uh uh you know point in, in in the in the destination uh because you know people would go on and you, they would swear and this and that but you didn't want to be gratuitous you didn't want to be you know like phony or fake and and if it came up organically is kind of how we kind of arrived on a decision that if it came up organically and it was real okay let it let, let it fly But we didn't want to just be, hey, here's we can do this for the sake of doing it. So, I mean, we exercised a lot of responsibility and a lot of thoughtfulness on it. And also just as far as stunts and that type of stuff, um, I think that we were evolving and we were, you know, learning, finding our way through. And I remember an instance where steve Oak came in and uh, in the building, according to the building lease, you know, now at the time, Sirius XM or Sirius was a six billion dollar market cap company. And uh, we had a lease for the building that we could not do certain things. There couldn't be insertion. There couldn't be any drug use. There couldn't be uh, any pyro. There couldn't be that kind of stuff. And, you know, believe it or not. Um, and uh, one day, Steve is in the green room and he's telling me how he wants to go on, on the air and, and light himself on fire. And I said, dude, you can't do that. Please don't do that. You know, he said, no, 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 it'll be great. It'll be great. I'm like, dude, please don't do that. So I walked, literally turned around, walk down the hall. He goes in the, in the control room, rubs Vaseline on him, pours lighter fluid, lights himself on fire and does a black backflip. I mean, we could have gotten evicted from the building, you know, or there's things like that. There was, or Snoop would come in and smoke weed. You know, it was like, it, it, it's, it, it was, it was stressful. Um, a lot of things, but it was, it was fun. It was great experiences. Um, uh, but uh We always always try to push the to the edge, but uh, you know without going over it, being responsible.
0: Yeah. So what are those rider meetings like? I mean, someone you know Gary comes in and goes, Steve, I want to light himself on fire, or someone wants to. I love the word insertion. the Tell Greatest me. times of all time, and well, who, all's, who, who all who all gets to go? I mean, I know you know the main crew, but I, I Doug Goodstein was on here, and he's like, "I'm in there." I mean, there's how many people are in there, and it sounded like it was kind of autonomous. Like, hey, don't throw it. I we want to hear everything, right? I mean, is that and then how do they get to and, the
1: end Pretty much everybody was invited that wanted to come, um, but it was always entertaining. And I told Howard we should tape everything, which we started to do. Uh, we, we captured everything, all the back office stuff. Uh, but one of the greatest writer meetings of all time was when we were sitting around and we would pitch guests or, or ideas and Fred uh, says, or somebody says, uh, we got Joan Rivers uh, wants to come in. And so what do we do? You know, and Fred was, I mean, one of those brilliant moments, he goes, why don't we measure her for a coffin? And the, the room just went dead silent and everybody just burst out laughing hysterically. And then Unbeknownst to everybody, a few months later, she dies, you know, which is tragic. But, but it was just some of the, the most incredible moments and things, you know, happened behind the scenes that were just, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget. I'll just never forget. It was just such an incredible group of people uh, that I have the opportunity to work with.
0: And it's crazy about this show because it's a radio show, but it's a TV show. It's an entertainment show. I feel like there's two great eras. I mean, the Jackie era building up into this where he goes from one station, then he goes to Philly, then L.A. So there's that era. And then there's the Artie era, I think, which would also be considered the serious era, which is my favorite. I loved Artie. Um, Tell me a little bit about Artie. How hard was it to manage him? And are you kind of personally involved as, as he's kind of going down his descent? It seems like he's okay and he's making his, you know, and everyone's like, oh, Artie's not here. He's got a cold. And it was kind of, you know, talk, tap, tap dance around until we get to like 2009 where it's like, OK, what's going on? How is it to to, to manage him? And are you in those like, Hardy, what are you doing? How does that work?
1: Well, it was like going from the David Lee Roth era to, uh, you know, to uh, Sammy Hagar, you know, with from Jackie to, to, to Artie and. Artie was a different kind of animal because everybody loved Artie very deeply. And and he was just a good, good soul and would help people above and beyond that. I I, I mean, I could go on forever and ever. He was just such a, a heartwarming guy, but he had uh, demons. And one of the things Howard and I would sit down with Artie on numerous occasions uh, and talk to him about, uh, you know, rehab or talk to him about maybe should take some time off or, you know, this and that without – we, we couldn't accuse him of doing drugs. You can't do that. But, you know, and I didn't know what was going on, but it was, but all I knew is every time we took a, a hiatus, um, that, uh, you know, Artie was getting arrested or this was happening, that was happening. And, and it was just, it was nerve wracking. It was just, uh, it was, it was heavy. It was very, very heavy. And, and, um, and you get roped into the, the craziness of Artie. And, uh, it was, it was just heartbreaking. And the time that I had to tell him that, uh, we were going, can you hear the, the lawnmowers in the back?
0: Oh, it's, you're, I can hear you mostly, so that's good. <laughs> okay, I, I
1: apologize for that. It's, it's always, you know.
0: And dogs. So anyway. hey, this
1: is the new world we live in. Radio edit, yeah. Um, but uh, it, it was it was heartbreaking because uh, you would get emotionally involved in it. And when I had to tell Artie that we were, you know, going to part company, it was on a Thursday, I think it was, and he went home and, uh whatever and he stabbed himself like seven times and it just it it, it sends shivers down my spine now but even to talk about it and i'll never forget the day that robin and i we went to the hospital we're sitting next to the bedside and and he's looking at me and he was coming off of drugs and whatever else and he was sitting there and you know all all whatever you know looped up on, on whatever the doctors gave him and and he looked at me like you motherfucker, you know. And I'll never forget that look as long as I live. Um, but and you know, we since talked about it and all that kind of thing. And and uh, it, but it was it was just very hard, very emotional, and and uh, it was uh, it it was uh, a very emotional experience uh, from a business standpoint, from uh, uh, from just a humanistic standpoint. Dealing with Artie, it was it was, it was heavy.
0: Did, I mean, does Howard finally say, Tim, we can't do this anymore, or do you say, how does that decision yeah, come about? We
1: both did. We both looked at each other and said, enough is enough, because uh, it was just draining, you know, instead of, you know, focusing and pouring your efforts into being creative and to, you know, uh, uh, advancing the business, uh, we, we were spending time dealing with arty issues, you know, it was consuming a lot of time. Um, and uh, so we made a decision, and it was a tough decision. Uh, it wasn't done haphazardly, but uh, it was done out of love, pretty much, that for the love of the rest of the staff, because it was killing everybody.
0: But it, it, there was a lot of bits on the air. Him falling asleep, and they're funny. Unfortunately, yeah. now that we know back revisionist, it's it's not funny. But it, there are so many. So how does how do you guys tap dance around? This seems weird, but it's funny. It's good for the as, as Howard was it's good for the air. So right, I mean, it, it had to be oh, that. Yes, we,
1: as we got, to, I remember the day when we found that there was heroin. I was like, "Oh my God, are you kidding me?" And it, it was, it was just, uh, it was, it was heavy. It was emotional. It was just everybody dealt with it their own way. But uh, you know, Howard and I kind of sat down and just, what do we do? You know, it, we're kind of at a loss. You know, I can't fix it. You know, I, I, we can make decisions that affect the business, but I can't fix Artie. I can't take away the pain. I can't take away, you know, what he's going through. So it is what it
0: is. So we saw that you did this podcast back in January, and then he kind of just went off the face of the earth in April. Was that the first time you'd kind of gotten to really – because it sounded like he really wanted to apologize to you. And then I know people are just like, where is he? What's going on? Have you had a chance to talk to him or know what he's doing?
1: Um, I, I that was probably the third time that i saw him you know i saw him you know he was getting back on his feet and he really i'd tell you he really looked the best that i've ever seen him he lost weight and and everything and so that was good and and he seemed to be you know in good spirits and and all that and, and uh, it was really a, a loving touching moment that he he literally wrapped his arms around me and apologized and and i'm like dude forget about it you know we're all good you know it's just um but i, I was I was there. I I love Artie Uh, and everybody loves Artie. It's just couldn't tolerate the, the drug bullshit and the the inconsistencies. And, and um, it was just a heartache, but it was so good to see him. You know, the last time I did his podcast, um, we talked about a lot of cool things and, and got a lot of things kind of off our chests and, and uh, it was good. And I just, uh, I just pray that he's, he's doing well and he's good. And, and uh, you know, He's getting the help he needs, so you know you don't have a hard. I,
0: just want to be I was gonna say you don't have a hard line to him and going. Come on, Artie, it's Tim. Come. No, no, no.
1: I I um, I reached out to his agent, uh, you know, to see how he was doing, and I didn't get a response. So I don't know if that's good, bad, or indifferent. But uh, I just hope that he's getting the help that he needs. Yeah.
0: A big thank you to Tim Sabian, who's got a lot going on now, and uh, looking forward to his new project. And you can hear all about that over on YouTube. And just search ST Weekly. Stern Talk Weekly, Sports Talk Weekly, whatever floats your boat. That's why I call that channel ST Weekly. Uh, the next interview I want to play a little portion of is with uh, the newsman who joined the, the Howard team in 2005. One of the original people to put on the mustard jackets at Steve Langford. Um, he was always in character. And I always found that funny that they had a news team that would come in and report as real reporters on whack packers and things going on around the show. So I uh, had a wonderful chat with Steve. Here's a portion of that. And I remember early on Howard was promoting this as we're going to have yellow jackets and they're going to be in a van and they're going to have the satellite, but... They're not reporting on me. <laughs> how hard was it early on to want to do a story about him and Beth going to the Hamptons or whatever Artie's up to? I mean, how off limits were some of the people that were actually on the show a lot, like Howard Robin? I don't, I don't think there was many Robin stories.
2: Uh, obviously, we weren't as stupid as we looked. Uh, we didn't, we didn't investigate Howard. Though um, so there were stories we reported on him, and, and I don't think he was always pleased with what we did. But um, we basically. Had had a uh, had free reign uh, to uh, report on everybody, perhaps other than Howard. It's not like Howard said you can't report on. You know, it's just we didn't investigate the the hell out of out of the guy, but we did go after and reported a lot on all the all the other people on the show, and um, they were not always happy with me. Do you
0: have a favorite moment from that when someone was not happy?
2: But you may remember the uh, Robin Quivers, Jim Florentine uh, romance. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we actually put a promo on the news uh, because we wanted to report on this developing story. You know, what was going on with these two is a great story. I mean, Florentine is an amazing comedian. Robin Quivers is an, an extraordinary individual. It was not always, always always easy to get along with but really an amazing human being anyway they were dating and so we put a promo uh, on howard 100 news uh we wanted we're covering the, uh, the you know the romance of budding romance of uh, jim Florentine and robin quivers if you see anything happening anywhere call us on the howard 100 news tip line 877 whatever it was um and we got calls from everyone everything they did we got a call on and uh Uh, Robin was not too happy with
0: that. How, how, I mean, you guys were, you know, reporters. You guys really were, you know, news reporters. You had that background. So, again, you talked about the craptacular. Like, there's no party that goes, what am I doing? Or is it like, this is great. This is exactly what I want to be doing. Well, listen,
2: I mean, in the day and age of uh, people have to cover the Trump White House, (laughs) what's the difference? (laughs)
0: But back then it wasn't, it wasn't that back then though. I, I know now. uh, Back then it was the Bush White House. (laughs) Who was your favorite whack packer? I know you, you uh, had, I know you got actually emotional when Kenneth Keith uh, died, I think in jail. Oh, that I was, I just
2: knew in my gut, the moment that happened, I got a phone call It you know, there was a bit of a backstory to it. I had never met Kenneth Keith. Uh, He was, on the show a lot before I was there, Uh, I was aware of him getting in legal trouble in Pennsylvania. And I went uh, a few weeks before, only a couple of weeks before his death and covered a court hearing in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, I think it was. And uh, he showed that he was brought in by a a cop and um, he looked like death. And I I was like, what the hell is going on here? He had been in this private prison for a couple of uh, weeks, I guess. And I said to his attorney after, I said, are you going to get him medical attention? I'm no doctor, but he does not look good. Oh, yes, of course. We're going to. Yeah. About two weeks later, I get a phone call at 730 in the morning uh, saying that Kenneth Heath had died in that private prison. And it just hit me. It was just something really, really wrong about this. And um, I, I, I was It just, caught, you know, I didn't know the guy, uh, but I got really emotional about it. And I actually waited before I took it into Howard because uh, it was wrong. And I knew it was wrong in my gut. And uh, we reported the hell out of private prisons after that, I can tell you. (laughs)
0: And then also, I I was a huge fan of this era when Artie came in in 01, and then you guys go to Satellite, and it was just hilarious. But everyone has to obviously understand that Artie, there's something going on with Artie, but Howard doesn't want to talk about it. Tell me how hard it was to sort of not be able, I know even Lisa G was saying, I have a file, and I'd be interested to hear about that file, I guess, but tell me what you thought about those days where, you know, Artie's falling asleep, he's not showing up, and everybody's asking these questions. Can the news team find out? How, how is it to to, to deal with all that?
2: Well, we, up until the end, we, he reported everything that we knew. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Artie was not happy always with that. And maybe who knows? Howard may not have been happy with that, but we reported him extensively. Then Howard took, um, and he was concerned about, you know, Artie is a, um, uh, for us, Artie was a news story, and we covered it aggressively. Well,
0: and, and what was it like, just seeing him sort of—I I have to say—deteriorate? You know.
2: Well, it was um, Artie. Even in good days, really liked to control. He didn't like being covered by somebody like me, uh, because I would report what happened. You know, I reported what I saw, and he didn't. He didn't care for that, um, and it was not always flattering. Obviously, I mean, I remember one time toward the end there where he was, he was doing an appearance in Philadelphia, book signing, I think, and um, we, I went over to Hoboken, I think, and there was a party bus, so we were supposed to leave, and the book signing in Philadelphia was. Say seven o'clock or something like that, and it's six or six thirty or something, and, and Artie's clowning around, and not we're not actually going to the book signing. We have got hundreds of people waiting for him in a bookstore in Philadelphia, and I'm just like, what is this? Is this the way you treat your fans? And I reported that.
0: Yeah, I mean, everybody now is wondering where is he. Uh, I'm sure you probably don't have a chance to talk to him or have his number, but you are a, a, a hard scrabble journalist. You got to find out where he is, uh, Steve. What, what do you know about him? Do you know anything about him? Have you had what was the last contact you had with him? And where is he? What can we do? He, I mean, he showed up doing a podcast, knows all messed up, and now we don't know where he is. I have no
2: idea. I mean, I you know I covered the Stern show when I was there, and uh, now uh, I don't cover that beat anymore. Uh, so I I don't know. Um, and I, Artie and I were obviously not friends.
0: The national news story, though, Steve. We get. No, I'm just kidding. I I just worry about him honestly because, like, again, I'm a fan. He did come through here a few times. We hung out, um, but yeah, it's that's my thing. George Takei was another one. You you got the chance to cover a lot. I know you really have a special place for him um, because of some of the stories you got to do with him. You, you got it, it became more of a thing. This would be one of those where you could say, "Listen, this is way out of the Howard Stern universe. I could do this at any time." Tell me a little bit about that relationship.
2: So one day. You know, George would be there at the show, and he was funny as hell. And you know, he was a great, great man. Is a great, great man. Um, but I read something about, you know, we knew in the background that he had spent, he'd been imprisoned in an uh, internment camp in the West, uh, in, in during World War II as a Japanese American. And then I read this line that he and his family, when he was five years old. Uh, before they were sent to the camps, they were forced to live in a, in a horse stall at a racetrack in Los Angeles. And that just hit me. I went and saw George, and I said, what what, what on earth? Would-? And it occurred to me that we could do, because radio is easier than television in terms of production, we could do a documentary about his childhood. And he agreed. And so I went to Los Angeles. I spent an entire day with him and Brad, his spouse. Uh, And we drove around Los Angeles to all these locations. We went to, we went to George's home where the Takei family had lived in April of 1942. Nice little home in East LA, I think it was. And George had not been back. Since that time. And uh, just like U.S. soldiers banged on the door in April of 1942 and told the Decay family at gunpoint, you're coming with us, because they were Japanese-American. We banged on the door. There was a gentleman who opened the door, somewhat bewildered, like, what are these people doing? Why is George Decay at my door? But George explained very clearly that, you know, I lived here in 1942. This is where U.S. soldiers took us. And uh, could we come in? And the man said, of course. And so. I mean, it was extraordinary to see and to record and uh, to uh, George reliving that. And then we went all around Los Angeles to the uh, downtown where they put them on buses. They took them to a racetrack where uh, George and his family lived in a horse stall like animals for several months before being taken on trains with the with the blinds down so that nobody could see them and they couldn't see out and they were taken to prison camps in arkansas and northern california i think it was uh so i did a, a documentary a radio documentary about it and i was very proud of it
0: yeah i mean that's really enterprising journalism as they say um but you don't get a lot of those kind of stories when you work at the Howard Stern Show. What is a day, a week like there where you guys come in on a Monday or maybe you have a meeting on a Thursday, here's what we're going to cover. How does the news team decide? I mean, you guys have – got to come in every day and have a a news update. You and Lisa G were basically the two guys or – two news people coming in and doing that. I mean, what is that like? I mean, you're just sitting on the phone all day, and are you listening to the show, and is someone pitching you – I, yeah. mean, J- I mean, Jason, I'm sure Jason Kaplan probably just threw you stuff to do to, to, because he was uh, one of those gossip guys. But You're tell me listening was- to the show
2: a lot because a lot of material comes out of that. <laughs>
0: well, I, I, we
2: didn't deal with Jason so much, but, um, you know, Gary Delabate, for example, was enormously helpful. I and mean, this is a guy who is not only a very generous human being, great guy, uh, but he also understands journalism and he knows material. And so. We would listen to the show. We would get calls. We get tips. We had that Howard 100 News tip line. We got tips like crazy on that thing. Stern Show is very devoted and involved uh, audience. Um, Gary, you know, reminds me of a story. Like one afternoon, as we, you know, we're churning out material all day long, and one day, uh, Gary calls me and says, "I don't know whether you would be interested in this story, but you know, I'm going to run for a position on the town council in Greenwich, Connecticut, where I live." And I just, in my gut, I knew immediately, I think I knew more than Gary knew, that this was going to be a great story. And so sure enough, uh, Gary says a couple of weeks later, he says, listen, we're having this meeting where I'm going to introduce myself to the people on the town council in Greenwich um, as I run for this position on the Parks and Recreation Commission. Uh, So would you like to come and cover it? It there'll be a reporter there from the, the Greenwich paper and, you know, whoever else wants to cover it. I said, "Yeah, absolutely." And I have my microphone. You know, everybody knows I'm a reporter. Um, and Gary uh, gets a question from one of the council members, uh, a woman who says, uh, "Mr. Delabate, uh, I've been reading up on your background, and uh, I understand you're uh, with the Howard Stern show. Now, it, it, it seems uh, I, I've learned that uh, included in your duties, uh, at one point you were throwing lunch meat." at a woman's rear end well you know i'm holding the microphone trying not to cry uh because it was so surreal and funny and gary is like I'm gonna, I'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna try to explain this and i knew right away that this was absolute gold so sure enough the next day on the stern show you know it was and and i covered the story uh, from there on it, it was just extraordinary
0: Again, my thanks to Steve Langford and Tim Sabian. Again, those are just portions of those interviews, the full interviews over at YouTube. I hope you go there and check it out. Subscribe, comment, like the videos. Again, I'm doing a lot more of these, so if you're into this, this is sort of a a little break from the norm of the baseball interviews or uh, any of the other things I've been doing here on uh, the podcast, but uh, you'll get some more of that coming up here as we get closer to playoff baseball. But right now, enjoying kind of reminiscing about the Howard Stern Show with some of the people that used to work there, some of the people that were guests there. Again, Vinny Favalli, I did an interview with him, and that will be appearing on YouTube here very shortly. Again, these were just pieces of those interviews. Hopefully you enjoyed them, and hopefully you enjoy Good Pasta. STLMasses.com, my title sponsor. They're the restaurant in St. Louis that loves this show. They love the Howard Stern Show, so I'm merging the two And I'm having a good time doing it. So thank you for listening. Again, we'll be adding new podcast here, but the full podcast, always go to YouTube first. And they're with video so you can sit back, put your feet up, enjoy your lunch, enjoy your dinner, and watch an interview with a former Stern associate. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.